Hello, hello, hello. I am your Rory O'Connell, hostess with the mostest, Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood. To lick it right, lick it good, show you how to... Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. Got the goosebumps. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Bite. Hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I am your hostess with the most is Munoz. And did we survive? Hopefully we survived, right? The new year, new year, new us, new being. And you know what? It's my birthday. Today is my birthday. Um, yep, that's right. I am a beautiful, stunning, gorgeous 42. Actually, tomorrow, the 5th, is my birthday. And um, what a way to celebrate my birthday than with a new podcast. Actually, funny enough, I think the last two years I came on to do sort of, uh, you know, the King's speech for my birthday. And then I've like left it alone. I haven't had a, a guest. But I am really, really excited, A, for the new year, B for today's guests and C for what's to come, right? Right? Because I have never, I've never felt better, right? I'm going back to the gym. The joints are working. The face looks good. I'm happy as a pig in mud. So I'm just going to get to the getting on and introduce today's fabulous guest. So without further ado, please help me welcome the one, the only J.R. Riles. Hey. Hi. Hi, Michael. Happy birthday. I'd have made you a cake, but I'm in Ireland, so I'm not sure if my owl would make it across the Atlantic. Um, It could have, JR. Okay. You know what? I, I don't appreciate that there is no cake in my house today. <laughs> we, we might arrange and we might arrange one. <laughs> Next time I'm coming stateside, which is actually you know what? in a week or two. <laughs> yeah, I, I well, we're, we're going to get yeah. to that. But listen, if Gold Belly can do it, all right? If, uh, if Wish.com can do it, if, you know, AliExpress can do it, why can't you? <laughs> I'm waving my magic wand. <laughs> 
Well, I'm so excited to have you here all the way from Ireland. Oh my goodness, what a way to kick off the new year, my my birthday week, you know? Um, I can't thank you enough for giving me of your time out of your very, very busy schedule. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate it. But before we get anywhere, JR, I have to do what I've got to do. And in the grand tradition of In Yo Mouth, I need to wish you... Happy National Spaghetti Day! Oh, who knew? <laughs> I did. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm enlightened. I love it. Yeah, spaghetti. I like that day. I mean... I mean, who I doesn't think, love spaghetti? Yeah, I, I. it has to be good spaghetti, though. But, I mean, I feel like it's uh, everyone's on, like, the New Year's resolutions of it all. So it's, like, dry January, keto January, carb-free January... Like, are we, are we doing any of that? Or are we still eating carbs and drinking? Oh, I'm I'm doing it all. Yeah, I yeah. Um, my world. Yeah, I I keep it all on board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that about yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who were you talking to? <laughs> the year yeah. was 2004, and I was traipsing the the bathrooms of Killarney. Um, it was just written on the walls or something. It was <laughs> you oh. national spaghetti day i mean the lady in the trap moment you know where the spaghetti like joins in the middle during the oh <laughs> i didn't even think about that iconic spaghetti moments iconic mm. spaghetti moments are there yeah. others there oh. is there is that moment I'm um, sure there's, you know, you throw the spaghetti against the wall and it sticks if it's done or over your shirt. That was a, that was a Martha's of your next lover. I think there's a lot was, of things. Yeah, that was um that was a Martha Stewart, wasn't it? Maybe, yeah. I'd say it's tried and tested over the years. A lot of a lot of the great dames, yeah. Yeah. Um the world's biggest bowl of pasta is a five hundred a five hundred pound dish found in uh New Orleans. Stop. Right? Oh Plus uh, 50 pounds of cheese on top. Amazing. Blown wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, who's eating that? Right? The whole city, um, probably. <laughs> right? The, the longest spaghetti in the world measured 120 meters long. Wow. That's very that, impressive. That's even longer than an American football field or 14 double-decker buses. Jeepers. <laughs> I love that you said jeepers. <laughs> If you're eating carbs or not eating carbs, um, no matter what you celebrate today, we celebrate you, I I should say. Or you know what? Actually, we're celebrating me today because it, it's my birthday week. <laughs> but moving right along into this g- day in gay history, I feel like I'm out of practice, even though I keep, um, I- I've not stopped podcasting this entire, like, throughout the holidays, et cetera, et cetera. JR, did you know that in 1982, the gay men's health crisis is formed in New York by Edmund White, Larry Kramer, Nathan Fain, Lawrence Mass, Paul Popham, and Paul Rappaport? Very important, very important yeah. because... No, I didn't know. Fascinating, though. Yeah, 1982, because um, they were combating uh, the AIDS pandemic, you know, wow. and it still exists today. Well, it's such important work. Yeah. Still exists today. Um, Larry Kramer uh, did a lot of, you know, work for all of us here, right? And beyond. Like, so 
Um, it's a good way to start the year remembering uh, the gay men's health crisis and um, Larry Kramer and all the all of our forefathers, I think. I like that sentiment. But I want to get to the getting on. And if you didn't know in your mouth, listeners, and you probably should start in this new year, J.R. Ryle is the pastry chef at Valley Maloo House in County Cork, Ireland. He has been working there since the age of 15 and in 2010 took the reins to oversee the dessert menu. Each year, he travels for two months in search of new culinary ideas around the world. He has also staged at the River Cafe, Otto Lenghi, Chez Panisse, and and Tartine Bakery, among other esteemed restaurants. In 2019, JR accepted the Trolley of the Year Award at the World Restaurant Awards in Paris. And in 2022, he received Pastry Chef of the Year at the Food and Wine Awards. His debut cookbook, Bally Malou Desserts, was published in 2022 by Faden. He's also single. He wants everybody to know. <laughs> <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere, Michael. <laughs> Thank you for the very generous introduction. Well, I mean, yeah. it's it's the bio of all bios, uh, and I mean, such a such a an awarded. Um, person we have on the i i'm honored to have you here i feel like the this should be like the kennedy center honor <laughs> we have jennifer we have jennifer hudson like open it singing the opening and you know rachel ray like feeding the crowd or something Can you imagine <laughs> yes that's why i said it i love it but I'd like to start at the very beginning, a la Julie Andrews, and talk about the love of cooking. Actually, you know what? I lied. We'll get there. You know, with somebody like you, so so distinguished and so esteemed, what's that like hearing that back? Um, I, I, I don't know, really. Um, I, I'm very proud of a lot of it. Um, it, when I hear it, it makes me realize I've been very career-focused all my life, and for as long as I can remember, like back to the age of four, I always knew I wanted to work in food. So when I when I hear the, you know, the the stepping stones I've taken or, you know, I read my own bio, um, I'm it's it's interesting. You know, I, I always knew the things that made me happy and I've always gone about doing them. And for me, it was eating and cooking. So when I was a young child, um, people would gift me cookery books and I'd make cookies and cakes. And that's all people let you do when you're a kid. You know, they don't hand you a leg of lamb to roast. So <laughs> I I kind of got into imagine, the pastry though? because I was, I know, imagine. Well, well, I wouldn't have known where to begin. But, um, you know, so I, I sort of got led into this realm of pastry without ever really um, thinking about it too much. And then the next thing I knew, you know, year on year, step by step, I'd do another thing. And I just crossed some great paths along the way and had some good mentors. So it's really nice um, to look back and think of all those things. You know, I'm still young. I'm 34 now. So uh, there's a lot of exciting stuff ahead. But um, yeah, so thank you. Very nice to hear that. Yeah, I mean, listen, I have been very, very blessed to have in my gay food village a plethora of beautiful, beautiful, um, you know, queer people of all of all statures, you know, here on this podcast. And um, sometimes the people who have accomplished or have been awarded the most or are really far in the journey, um, I always like to ask that question just to be like, what are, have you stopped and actually thought about this? Because, you know, like you said, a lot of people are so career focused and so are 
what about the next thing or what's next and 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 don't often or more often than not don't stop to you know kind of backtrack and like think about oh wow like you did you did do all that you know yeah and and often we don't and i think particularly in cooking because you know every meal is a deadline and you know you make a cake you push the boundary you know, and, you know, maybe the crock on bouche is bigger than the last one you did, you know, but then it gets eaten and you've got to do another one. So I feel like in food, you do just get propelled, you know, and every so often, you know, your phone, you see a photograph and it reminds you of something you did a few years ago, or you meet up with friends and they remind you of that dinner. And it's really nice to look back. But I think a lot of us, and I'm sure you relate, those of us who love to cook, we often probably don't look back enough because, you know, you're just out shopping for the next meal and it sort of keeps rolling. Exactly. And I think a, a piece of it, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, because you're you're kind of in a different position, but we do talk a lot on this podcast about toxic kitchen culture, right? And what it means mm-hmm. to be queer in the kitchen, like behind the lines, right? A lot yeah. of a lot of LGBTQ folk that come on this pod are doing amazing things, but doing it for themselves because either they don't want that behind the line experience or they've had that behind the line experience and it's kind of turned them off. So like they've like pivot ball changed Mm -hmm. into creating a space for themselves to thrive, you know? Yeah. And so some of that, I feel that maybe some of that too, perhaps not for you. um, I don't know, but it's, um, is this constant like, well, I, I am constantly needing to prove myself, yes, in my field of work, but because I may be looked at differently in this space, right, depending who I'm dealing with, it's another hurdle to to kind of jump over. Totally, I hear you. I suppose my own journey was very different in that um, the majority of stories are about those toxic workspaces and, you know, the hardship and just what a slog it is, you know, to achieve something. But I'm very lucky in that the crowd I fell fell in with in my very first job, um, to give you an example, my boss, um, if she was still alive, would be at 98 this year. So um, her name was Myrtle Allen. When I met her, she was in her late 70s. And she was like a mother of six, opened the restaurant when she was 40. She did everything differently. Never had worked in anyone else's restaurant. Basically, it was a commercialized family farm and she opened a restaurant in the old house. And so th- it's a good story. People can look it up if they want. It's uh, the base, they can Google Ballymaloo. Um, but it was a completely different cooking culture. It was so domestic. We really um, thought about how we were doing. We checked in on each other. It was all about flavor and produce and really sourcing the ingredients. In a way, the politics of the people didn't really creep into the work at all for me. So I had a very nice training environment and I very fortunately was sheltered from what was going on in the industry. And when I wanted to start cooking properly in kitchens, this is 20 years ago in the early noughties, and it wasn't cool for kids to cook then. Uh, Lots of my family tried to talk me out of it because they heard these stories, you know, about the bullying, um, about, you know, what, what would you do? The pay is terrible. You know, you'll never get to a party. Forget about going to family weddings. You know, it's all off the table. If you if you become a chef. So I think I definitely put the lucky card in the people I fell in with and the mentors I had, because it taught me that food isn't about anger or about, um, you know, uh, pulling tricks on other people, that it was really just about putting a good meal on the table. So 
in a way, I've heard the stories, but I don't actually have my own versions of those terrible times. And touching on the um, the gay element of cookery, uh, I I didn't have any gay mentor necessarily, or there wasn't anyone um, obvious to me as a teenager who was gay that I could you know, look up to and kind of follow their career. So I sort of just made my own path. Now, there were people I worked with who were gay, but like me, we were in this bubble, like outside of the rest of the world. So um, I I think I was very fortunate. Yeah, it's um, yeah. it's kind of where I love this. I love I love meeting meeting new guests on this podcast because I love finding like the the joint, the middle, the meeting point of where, you know, we cross and very similarly back in 2009 when I started my own food journey um I just never saw myself represented and that kind of on food tv and then that kind of um combined with the fact that the aesthetic back then was very quiet very quiet and beautiful and and you know the Giada De Laurentiis and the Ina Garten of it all like and I grew up watching you know um, Graham Kerr and Julia Child, and there was a, even Emerald. There was more of a showmanship, and it was more of a show, right? As well as it wasn't so serious, right? And it wasn't so stuffy. And you know, there there's a time and place for all of that. And like, I don't want to take away any of that from any of those people, you know. But um, I it I was just like, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this in a better way. And there's no one out there like me. I want to see my face on the TV, you know? And, I love that. Uh, yeah. Mission drives us then, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, similarly, like, you know, the universe guided me through a very, very haphazard food career. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, where I was baking custom wedding cakes out of 120 square feet here in Times Square, you know? <laughs> um, just self-taught. So... That's, that. uh, yeah, it's, it's an insane, insane journey for sure. And now, and now I'm here talking to you all the way from <laughs> sunny Ireland. Well, it's probably not sunny. It's probably night, nighttime there now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we've had a pretty cool week actually, but uh, so, yeah. um, talk to me. I want to go back now to love of cooking, the very beginning. Where does the love of cooking come from or uh, for you baking? Uh, well, for me, it was always taste. I was fascinated with tasting things growing up. And anytime there was a chance to taste something new, you know, I'd ask, can I try that? And sometimes people say, oh, you won't like it. You know, you like that when you're older. And I'd say, well, look, give me a shot. And so wherever I was, friends' houses, and we didn't really eat out in restaurants often. I grew up on a small farm in North County Cork. So most of the meals we had, my mother prepared and we ate well at home, but very simply, there was never any, you know, skid marks or foams or anything complicated on the plate. It was mm. traditional food, but I, I'd go with her to do the weekly shop. And I remember the first time I saw a lime or the first time I, I noticed a lime in a, lo- in a store and I asked her, would she buy it for me? And I took it home and cut it in half. Lady squeezed the juice into my mouth. I was like the most sour thing I'd ever tasted. And I have loads of these memories where I was always fascinated in trying things. So that people realized that, or, you know, my mom recognized it. And then I was just, I was encouraged to bake. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, when you're a kid, people say, well, if you want to cook, you know, make some cookies or a cake. And it's a bit like learning a language, I think. Once you know the basics and you can speak a little bit, it's really exciting practicing. 
And then as you see yourself becoming better, you can say more complicated things. And it's the same with cookery. Once you learn that language, you know, and you learn how to hold a palette knife, you know, how to, you know, use a piping bag with a cool new tip, you know, suddenly there, you know, you're, you're really satisfying your ambition on that itch. So that was really it for me in the beginning. It was first taste led me to trying out things. And yeah, I, I was lucky. I had um, good relatives and friends who encouraged me. And then I'd make um, cakes for parties and people would order them off me. And yeah, that was it. Really, one thing led to the next. It was very slow and steady. I call it the scenic route. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. More often than not, we hear stories on this pod about like, you know, grandma was cooking and then I was inspired or someone passed away. And like I opened like I found the cookbook and, you know, I went through that journey. I love I love the fact that like taste, taste is what drove you yeah. into. And, and actually there was um, so like literally one of my very earliest food memories is watching a show on TV. And um, there's a celebrity chef in Ireland called Dorina Allen, and she runs the Ballymillow Cookery School, actually where I'm based now. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I remember watching her make a fruit cake this is a cake with lots of dried fruit in it she literally took an entire episode to make the cake it's quite a quite a thing to watch and she was creaming butter and sugar as you do for making lots of cakes and the butter was so soft and i grew up in a really cold house and i remember thinking i wish i had butter that soft to cream into my cakes and so actually she was definitely someone i aspired to and her butter and when i was four my aunt brought me to meet her and she gave me a gift of her book so this is in March 1992, and she writes a note inside the cover of the book saying, for John Robert, that's where the JR comes from, will be a great chef when he grows up. Love, Dorina Allen, March 1992. So that's so was four-year-old me as well. And that kind of made me think I could be a cook. So even when people would try and talk me out of it, I just had this inner thing where it was always that feeling that I wanted to do this thing. And definitely her encouragement at that age meant a lot. And you never really know the impression you're going to have on someone. You know, she she signed countless books and I'm sure encouraged lots of kids. But for me, it made a difference. You know, those kind words and the sentiment. So that definitely um, helped me as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of never knowing the impression you're going to have on people, I always love to ask uh, people's about people's coming out stories because we never know who's listening and we never know who our story could affect. Would you mind sharing? Yeah, sure. Um, so I went to a boarding school in Ireland from the age of 12 to 18. And, you know, in the dorms at night, the boys would be listing out, uh, you know, who their who their top three girls or that they fancied or you know who they thought looked really nice that day and for years I'd kind of like fall in with it and almost convince myself I had fancied several of the girls and I'm not bi I am gay but I I never actually overly questioned it and again it was a really nice school it was very small there were only this is my high school there were only like 250 students so it was again kind of an outlier um on what the norm is and it was only when I went to university that like my eyes were really opened to the fact that, you know, okay, maybe I am gay. And I spent a lot of time thinking about it, but I didn't have the confidence or the courage to do anything about it or to come out at that time when I was 18. So I was actually 21 when I came out. Now I had a lot of gay friends and I gravitated to them and I go on nights out with them. And I'm sure some of them probably just thought, you know, or maybe he's gay and he's really happy to be around us. But for me personally, I hadn't it hadn't settled with me that it was okay to be that side of myself, even though I was participating in culture, you know, I was 
going out or hanging out with people or going along to events. And uh, I had this moment one night in a nightclub. I was talking to my friend Shane and I said to him, I have something I have to tell you. And he said, what is it? And I said, oh, no, you know what it is. And he said, yeah, but no, you need to say it. I said, okay, I think I'm gay. And he said, so what? I was like, what do you mean, so what? And he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know, I want to kiss someone. So he took me down to the dance floor and he said, point at someone here who you think is good looking. And I pointed at this really hot guy across the room and Shane said to me, walk across the room and kiss him. And I walked across the dance floor. I literally like put one, my hand on his shoulder, leant in to kiss him. And thank God he kissed me back. <laughs> and Shane was the first person I ever came out to. And it was just this eureka moment. I never had a kiss like it. It was like, it, it actually changed everything. I remember it so clearly. And, you know, having had done it, I wish I had done it years ago or years before, but I wasn't ready until then. And like, actually, I walked out of that nightclub feeling like I was myself. And I never really looked back. And fortunately, my family were, um, had a really good response to it. Um, all of my friends were great. So uh, unlike a, a lot of stories I hear and from other people I know, um, I was able to come out when I felt it was right to come out. So, yeah, that was that was it for me. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And thank you for sharing. Um, and thank you for letting me hold that and letting it live on in this space. But um, I always say we don't qualify stories here on the pod because the journey is the journey, right? And yeah. And so good, bad or other, this was this just happened to be our journey. Right. And I for those of us who have had um, more positive experiences with coming out where like, you know, our families are still intact and so on and so forth, or the struggle wasn't as much. I I do hear a lot of what I'm just going to call survivor's guilt. You know what I mean? In the sense of like, oh, I don't. I didn't have this like experience, you know, and I'm so sorry I didn't have this experience, you know? Um, and it's okay. It's, it's okay. And we're here for you. And you never know, like I, like I say, you just never know who is listening and who is like, Oh, that was like my experience or that's the experience I want to have, you know? Also, yeah. also in this day and age, don't go up and just without consent, manhandle people i don't we are not we are not promoting that you know and i'm not recommending yeah. anyone just like walk up to a stranger <laughs> on a dance floor but you know it's remarkable that it happened and yeah absolutely um, like i never in a million years before that would have thought i would do something like that but yeah. whatever culminated in the moment and my feeling you know i just i just did it and you know, thankfully the person reciprocated in the right way or yeah. at least in a positive way. So, um, yeah, it, I suppose the day had a happy ending for me. And, and that was only the beginning of it then, you know, I, then I was able to really be myself all the time, you know, and, and the coming out only starts then, you know, we're still all coming out. Yes, um, that, you know, and particularly in the industry I work in, in food, um, you know, the assumption is that everyone is straight. It's, it's not talked about, um, and it's not like people, the straight people come up to you and say, well, I'm straight. But, you know, quite often people will get to know you for a while and might, might even be working with me for weeks. And uh, although they'll probably have worked it out, I'm not a mystery. But, you know, there often comes the moment where you might have to point out to someone, you know, when they, they say, oh, you know, tell us about your girlfriend or something. You're like, well, actually, I don't have one. and I'm never going to have one. And, you know, you get used to it. But it's a funny thing that the coming out never ends, I find. 
you know, it depends on where you are. You know, no, I, always I guess, like always. for people who, you know, when I'm traveling, I love to go to the neighborhoods and, you know, it's really nice because in a way you'll, it's so rare you'll bump into someone you have to come out to. But in my day to day life, I live in rural Ireland and I'm also conscious that I don't want anyone to feel suddenly awkward because I've dropped something in their lap that they weren't expecting. Um, but yeah, it's part of day to day life still, you know, for me, like over a decade later. Yeah, we talk about it a lot here on the pod, too. It's it's that it's forever coming out at work or whatever, like verbally. And also there's a there's a side of coming out, too, that's also like internal, like rediscovering yourself as you grow and change and age and and whatnot. You know, you're always figuring new things out about yourself. And then you're also coming out to yourself again, you know. In, oh, yeah. in in totally. different ways. It's a never-ending process. So that's also a really, really important point to make um, here and always, you know? And that's okay. Like, it's all okay. It's all part of the process, you know? Yeah. So I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. I think now would be a great time to pour ourselves a cocktail, take a little break, and we're going to be right back with my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. All right, JR, I hope you're ready for my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast, a little something we like to call Food News Update! Uh, Food news, Ooh, honey. You ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. News update. Dry January just got a lot easier thanks to this booze a locker. You won't get the combination to open it until February first. Ooh. <laughs> now you're not doing dry January. Oh, no, absolutely not. Yeah. And it's slightly, it's not impossible for me to do dry January, but with my birthday, you know, I don't know if you know it's my birthday, but it's my birthday. I, <laughs> and you deserve a drink. <laughs> it it makes it hard to do, right? Especially because everyone yeah. wants to take you out and buy you drinks. But I think this is really, really funny that there is this company, thank you to delish.com, not a sponsor, but there is this company called um, hop water. It's a water brand, right? And so they've created this uh, clever solution and they've come out with this hop locker. And it's a special locker that will keep your booze out of sight and out of mind for the entire month of January. And if you have plans to open the locker prematurely, think again. You won't receive the combination to open the locker until February 1st. Oh, I get it. Um, yeah, do you know, I know lots of people who would probably love that, but I, I pretty good restraint. I, I don't know about you. Um, yeah. And, you know, and then if you, so if you have, a, if you do have a drink in the middle of your dry month, it's probably not the end of the world. Yes, absolutely. Unless, unless 
you need help. And then, it, oh, and yeah. then it is a problem. <laughs> and there's help there for you. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Right. We'll provide all the numbers if you, if you need that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But how funny. I was just thinking when I read this article that, okay, here, they, uh, Hop sends me this locker and I throw all the booze in and by accident, like my wallet falls in or, or something important, my passport falls in as I close the locker. <laughs> And so this is like a piece of furniture that you've got to accommodate in your living room, I guess. And what do you do then for the rest of the year? Do they take the locker back? No. So wait, 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 wait. So somebody from Hop is like, we know it can be hard to stick with dry January goals and implement healthier lifestyle habits, <laughs> especially after a holiday uh, indulgence, said Jordan Bass, Hop Water co-founder and CEO. However, in recent years, we've noticed that more people are looking to participate in dry January and really want to prioritize a more well-balanced lifestyle. The launch of the Hop Locker is another step in our journey to help our fans continue to live a healthier life without having to sacrifice flavor or fun. And we look forward to crushing dry January goals alongside our community. Hop Water will give away several Hop Lockers as part of an online contest that you can enter. Additionally, the beverage brand wants to make sure that you stay extra hydrated throughout January. So they're throwing in a month's supply of their non-alcoholic sparkling Hop Water. So no, once it's yours, it's yours. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> I wonder then if you want to do another sober month, if you can contact them to reset the combo and then you lock your stuff away. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, I don't think this would be one for me now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're here for this. Like, you yeah. know, like just put your liquor in the cabinet like everybody else and like don't touch it. And I think the most difficult thing about doing a dry month is the going out and the parties. You know, quite often that moment at home, like, um, yeah, I think I, at home is the easiest part almost. It's yeah. when you're, you know, you're at your friend's birthday and you think, oh gosh, should I be having that margarita right now? Um, no, that's why, that's why thank, I thank heavens that uh, marijuana is legal here in New York. Because at least if you're doing a dry January, you can pop half a gummy and you could vibe it out and be just fine. You know what I mean? That's what I'm here for. But I'm not here for this locker. But for those of you that are, you know what? Good for you. We celebrate you. We have your back this dry January. I love the sentiment. You know, go for it. If you're going to do a dry January, go for it. Butter candles are coming to a table and every party that you attend. Have you heard about this new butter candle trend that like took over the holiday season? No, but I tell me more. It sounds stunning. Yeah. So apparently TikTok, because TikTok is the end all be all of things these days. Uh, someone went viral for making a candle out of butter. But then you like put it on a table and you can like dip your bread in it at the same time. So sort of like a dripping. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it looks like a candle. Um so also also from Delish, butter candles have been around for a while, but they've been given a new life thanks to TikTok's current fascination with putting butter on display. Um, so Zuzi the foodie was among the first to share a butter candle video on the social media app. So she made a butter candle out of softened butter and a raw brand hemp wick, which is food safe. Once complete, the candle is then lit and smushed with a slice of fresh bread. So it like keeps melting as like 
you like dip. Yeah, I think I'd be into this. I need to see it in operation now. But yeah, I, I mean, anything with butter is good. Yeah, I mean, were you here for the butter boards? Um, no, I actually haven't had them, but I've watched them. Like, you know, they fall into my social media all the time. And you know, some of them look really good. Yeah, I'm totally into it. I'm a huge butter fan. You know, I, yeah. I, I really like it. I mean, their, yeah. And of course, hello. Irish butter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're know, from the land of butter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, literally we are. Um, and yeah, no, so the butter board's totally up my street. I just haven't actually got around to doing one. Uh, but butter candle. Yeah, I think I'm going to give that one a thumbs up. Yeah, I think it could be cute. Obviously, we want you all to be safe out there. So if you're building a butter candle, please don't burn the house down. All right? Because <laughs> you are playing with fire and fat, oil. So please uh, please don't burn your house down. But yeah, like I think it could be a, a cute thing if done right, you know? Yeah. Uh, as, as like a centerpiece, you know, with like all these things around it. So as it melts, like it's melting on like focaccia or what else are we putting butter on yeah. besides oh well you toast? can put butter on everything i think yeah. <laughs> oh can we can Absolutely. we JR? <laughs> yeah you can dip your radishes in you can dip your crudite you can yeah any sort of flatbread i always yeah. dip my radishes in some yeah. butter <laughs> a little potato <laughs> <laughs> a little oh that would be delicious yeah. like you um you like roast up, like you get, like you boil and then roast up nice and crispy some potatoes, little potatoes with like some cheese and then like let the butter. Oh, yeah. 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 Or maybe if you have like a big, like a big vat of mashed potatoes and then you put the candle in the middle of that and just let it like, yeah, drip although, out. Although I'm now just wondering, like, you could just put a knob of butter in anything, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> So I hope yes, I, I've, I I actually yeah. think you can put a knob yeah. of butter. <laughs> I think we're here for this. I absolutely this, think yeah. we are here for this, right? But light your candles and light them safely. And last but not least, I don't know if you have Boston markets in Ireland, but Boston Market is selling whole rotisserie chickens for three dollars and seventy cents in honor of their uh, anniversary. Do you have Boston markets in? No, I've uh, never heard about it, but I'd worry about the price of that chicken. Chicken's <laughs> one of those things I'm a little, maybe I'm on a high horse here, but I like to know where it's coming from. And I don't know if you can rear a chicken that cheap. Uh, <laughs> so, Bo- something's fishy. Boston market is uh, um, a fast food, like comfort food okay. joint here in America. And so they serve like rotisserie chickens and mashed potatoes. And I haven't been to a Boston market in, a very, very, very long time. Okay. But like, that's kind of the vibe, like mac and cheese and like very comfort foodie okay. sort of things. And they're known for their rotisserie chicken. And so uh, Boston Market was celebrating their 37th birthday uh, from December 26th to the 28th. And they were selling whole rotisserie chickens and a large side and a whole apple pie for $3.70 each. Oh, that that sounds crazy to me. I always get worried when prices go so rock bottom, you know, so, someone's being squeezed or something suffering. Probably the chicken. And, Probably, um, like or yeah. how um how a uh yeah. how processed is all of this? Yeah. Well, who knows? I do you know, I always take the look on things that, you know, good food costs money. You know, and you don't get anything for free. Someone's either paying for it or someone's suffering for it. So definitely when it comes to things like chickens, I'm like, you know, eat it less and eat a good one. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Way to put a way to put a damper yeah. on Boston Market's birthday and nothing to do with that store though. I'm sure they're wonderful. <laughs> but uh, you know, and yeah, we, we should all be celebrating birthdays. Oh, how fast, how but, fast we backpedal, JR. But, how fast. Uh, no, yeah, but no, definitely. No, my mantra and food in general would be yeah, you you've got to put the bet, you know, you gotta go put fu- put good fuel in the tank. So uh, yes, yeah, I, yes. I only put like your, to eat the good put your money where your chickens are, isn't that the old saying? Yeah, that's that's it yeah um yeah no you have to for everything you know it's yeah get good butter get good meat and you know then you don't need to do all the fads of you know the the various different diets that try to exclude everything absolutely um before we close out there was a a speaking of like viral things and and videos and chickens and whatnot um or poultry i should say there was this viral video going around of a mother filming a a, a kid, right? He had to be what, maybe twelve or something, right? In his early tweens, mm-hmm. um, taking the the neck and the gizzards and the giblets out of a turkey. Oh yeah. And so she was like, I don't know what his name was, like Jimmy, right? Jimmy, Jimmy, like you go ahead, you got to like take the stuff out of the turkey. And he was like, what? And he, she was like, there's stuff inside the turkey. You have to take it out. And so he's like talking to her as he's like trying to find the cavity. And he was like, is this a boy turkey or a girl turkey? She was like, what do you mean? And she is like, is it a boy turkey? And so he reaches his hand in and grabs the neck and he pulls it out a little and sees it and he drops it and he goes, uh, uh. <laughs> he goes, I think it's a boy turkey. And then he starts to dry heave. Like he's like, Ugh. and he won't start, stop dry heaving. And the mother is in tears and she goes, yeah, you have to stop dry heaving. She goes, I think it's a boy turkey. <laughs> he can't take the neck out. <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> it was, I must have watched it a, a 10 times. It was so funny. Because wow. he, there he was thinking he was holding a turkey penis. Is, is <laughs> and with that, I think that's the best way to end. Food news update. <laughs> I want you to take that back to Bally Malou. <laughs> I was on this big gay food podcast and we talked about turkey penis. <laughs> that's, yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So in your mouth, listeners, I want you to know that I found JR because he was part of a cookie collective this holiday season that was um, part of an initiative for the Alley Forney Center, correct, JR? Yeah. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so it was um, Eric at Ursula Bakery um, reached out to me and asked, would I like to participate in the project. And he was getting um, a group of LGBTQI plus um, bakers to come together and each either cook the cookies, bake the cookies in their own kitchens in New York, or in my case, to submit the recipe and Eric kindly cook them for me. And he assembled the boxes. They did 250 of them in total and then um, did a big announcement. They sold out in record time and raised $11,000 uh, that Eric's going to be giving to the charity. So a really nice project in the lead up to Christmas. And I was thrilled to be part of it because, you know, when for me, I'm based in Ireland, working on a farm, like I mentioned earlier. So it's lovely to be able to, you know, get together internationally, particularly with the niche of bakers who, you know, like myself are gay or lesbian or, you know, what, whatever part of the spectrum they land on uh, to do something like this. So, um, yeah, well done, Eric and the whole team. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had been fortunate enough right before Thanksgiving, for Thanksgiving, for their dance-a-thon to be part of a queer food initiative uh, video that they did as well. Um, so I hold the Alley Forney Center near and dear to my heart, and it was so special just um, to connect with you through that way and that initiative. I really wanted a box. I couldn't get my hands on one. Yeah, well, they sold fast. They really did. So, you know, which is great and testament to the appetite out there to support these causes. Uh, yeah. But the box is awesome. There were some really great cookies in there. Yeah, especially those um, gingerbread pigs in bondage. Oh, I know. They stole the show, the BDSM pigs. They were like, yeah, they are fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> hysterical. Absolutely hysterical. What's next for you? Uh, so... Next week, I actually fly out. I'm doing a little trip. So I love a day out and um, get to do all the things I don't get to do and do all the things my mother told me not to do growing up. So I'll go to London, Paris, then New York for about a week, and then a little holiday in Mexico. And I'm going to swing up by LA and San Francisco. So like you mentioned earlier, uh, my debut book, Ballymaloo Desserts, came out in October. So some of the trip is going to be like a little book tour where I'm going to do some dinners. Uh, I'm going to cook with friends in L.A. and San Francisco. And then in other cities, I'm just going to connect and see what's possible in the future. So and it's also, you know, it's a chance for me to get out there and hopefully flirt with some people and live the we life to I don't get to live every day. So well, when you come to Adam. New York, I will take you I will take you wherever you know you need to go. OK, oh my gosh. OK, we're doing martinis and bar pisolino. <laughs> yes. And everywhere. Yeah. And then, and then and then and then we're hitting the streets. All yeah. right. So, and it's just really nice to get out. It's the contrast. I live a quiet country life in Ireland. So when I'm traveling, you know, I sort of feel like I, I kind of blossom a bit and I come into myself. And obviously what I do today, day to day is me as well. But it's nice to give yourself the chance to do mm -hmm. the things you love. And, you know, I get to go to galleries. I'll eat out. I'll meet strangers. And it's the smallest things that have the biggest impact on my day when I'm traveling. And it's just the things I don't get at home. So, yeah, that's next for me. Absolutely. I love that. I absolutely love that. If you were to give a piece of advice to either somebody who wants to start baking or somebody who thinks that baking is so taxing that they like they're like absolutely not. What would that what would that like piece of advice be? Oh, uh Buy my book, Ballymaloo Desserts. No, I'm joking. I shouldn't be. We're so going to link that out. Uh, but, uh, we love a plug here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, no, from simple to sensational, there's great recipes in the book. You know, if you want to make a dessert in five minutes, you want to spend an afternoon in the kitchen. It's got all of that. And that's fine, you know, and that's a book. But actually, I think for anyone who's looking to, um, to get into cooking professionally, I would say the most important thing to do is to find a good mentor. Because then you have someone you respect and connect with and whose advice you want to take on board and you take it as advice, not criticism, then you can really progress. But for the home baker, um, you know, try those ingredients that you walk past every so often and wonder what it's like. Buy it and bring it home and taste it. You know, like me with the lime when I was a kid. Yeah. Or, you know, just just give things a go. And sometimes things go wrong. And that's fine. It happens to me too. You, you turn your back and the cream turns into butter in the mixer. Or for whatever reason, the oven wasn't the temperature you thought it was going to be. And that'll happen. But don't let it put you off. Uh, there's always something you can salvage and give it another go. You know, it's only food at the end of the day. It's not worth having the worst day of your life over or getting angry over. So, um, yeah, give everything a go. 
get my book and um, find a good mentor. So that would yeah. be my advice. Absolutely. I, uh, I was posting a like Thanksgiving stuffing, like a bread stuffing recipe. And I was, I was filming it and doing it here. And I burnt, I burnt the hell out of it. I just burnt the hell out of it. And I was so mad because filming things for the internet take forever, especially cooking things. Um, and so angry. I was like, all of this went to waste. Ugh, what am I going to do now? I don't have anything. And I was like, wait a minute, you totally need to post this because sometimes like all we, all the content we're ingesting online is beautiful things and beautiful food and beautiful recipes. And no one's showing the people that, you know what, even as somebody who does this, like it burns, you burn it. Right. And there's, and there's, and you have like, and if it happens, you have the number to the pizza store. (laughs) Like Andy, you know what I mean? (laughs) And and things go wrong and it can be really discouraging, but do you know what? There's always a chance to learn from it. And Stuff goes wrong all the time. Like, you know, even recently, I I misweighed the baking powder in a cake and the cake rose so much that it actually like imploded on itself. And, you know, we, I, I shared a first staff meal and it was lovely. And so even when you've been doing it for decades, things will go wrong. And but now I know what happens. You put too much baking powder in a cake, you know, and yeah. all of these things, they teach you a lesson. So I, you know, take it as lighthearted as that and. Give it a word. I love that. I love that. Give the kids, give the people out there all the all the handles, where to find you, the website, so on and so forth. Let us have all that information. Okay. Well, anyone who wants to buy me a drink, I land in New York on 17th of January. <laughs> love and that. If anyone who wants to buy me on Instagram, uh, my handle is J-R Ryle. So J-R-R-Y-A-L-L. So that's my name. Um, you can find my book on my publisher's website, which is fidon.com. And uh, for the rest of the year, I'm in Ballymaloo, which is a 300 acre farm in Ireland. And we've got a hotel and restaurant and a cookery school. And it's, it's a real food lover's destination. But for anyone who loves lifestyle, food production and agriculture, you know, if you're coming to Ireland, swing by and say hi. Uh, I'd love to have a cup of tea with you and I can give you show around. So, you know, reach out to me on my social and we'll we'll connect. I love that. Now I'm going to link all of that out in the liner notes. Oh my God, thank you so much again for coming on and giving me of your busy schedule on your busy farm, right? And just, you know, giving me your time to come and laugh and sit with me and, you know, just talk. This has been really, really special. And I'm, again, honored to have you here. So thank you again. Oh, thank you. I've loved this. Of course, of course. In your mouth, listeners, uh, if you want to send me birthday love, you know how to do it. Just slide into the DMs. Uh, you know where to find the merch if you want to support your girl or you can just Venmo me. I'm, uh, <laughs> I am. T- I will take all cash advances at this point, right? Because she has got bills to pay. Other than that, um, happy new year, right? Um, stay safe out there. You know, we're back to work. We are back at it, right? Deep breaths, meditation, right? And don't stress yourselves out, right? With these New Year's resolutions and whatnot. Things will get done in their own time. And it's not a race, it's a marathon. And that's all I have to say about it. And other than that, the last thing I have to say, as always, is thank you for listening to In Yo Mouth!
Bronx. <laughs>